Connection Unpacked, where we discuss the pull of the past every week. I'm your host, Allison Treat. I'm an author of historical fiction and a freelance editor. Welcome to my show. Hello, readers. Thank you so much for joining me today. I am going to talk with Liz Tolzma today. Um, she is a best-selling author, and I met Liz a few years ago, pre-pandemic, when I went to the SoCal Christian Writers Conference in 2019. Um, I love. I only had like a short conversation with her then, and I, I um, went to a couple of her classes and thought she was great. But um, I've been listening to her podcast now and then, which is somewhat similar to mine. It's about historical fiction. Um, So I'll link to that in the show notes for sure. But I had so much fun. This is the longest conversation I've had with Liz. And I so enjoyed getting to know her better and learning about kind of her mission in writing and her heart for the sacredness of each person. Um no matter their disabilities or age or what they can offer us. So I I don't want to keep you too long with gushing about how much I love talking to Liz a little bit more and getting to know her better because I want you guys to hear firsthand um, this conversation I had with Liz and you, I'm sure, will feel the same way that I do. So without further ado, here is my conversation with best-selling author, Liz Tolzma. Liz, I'm so glad you could join me on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad to be here. So your latest novel, A Picture of Hope, releases October 1st. Can you tell me about this book? Sure. It's a World War II novel, and it's about an American photojournalist. She's spent the war in England taking pictures of mothers standing in milk lines and things like that, just really boring stuff. And she's itching for an adventure. And when D-Day happens, she figures this is her adventure, except that the U.S. military had banned women from being there on D-Day. So she slips aboard a hospital ship going to Normandy and goes ashore And that's how she manages to get into France. And that is based on a true story, on the story of Martha Gellhorn, who actually did that and managed to scoop all the other male reporters and get the story. So that was kind of fun to write. But my character, Nellie, um, then uh, she finds herself behind enemy lines. And she encounters a French maquisard, which was the French resistance, and they team up together. And along the way, they come upon a little girl who has Down syndrome, and she's being hunted by the Germans, and they need to get her across the border into Switzerland as quickly as possible. And the book takes off from there. Okay. Wow. It sounds so interesting. And I started reading it. Um, it's just, yeah, it starts right off with a lot of suspense and, um, excitement. So you mentioned it's a true, well, part of it's based on a true story. So is that what inspired this or what was the inspiration behind this novel? Yes. A lot of it was inspired by the female reporters who were 
working in Europe during the Second World War and some of their experiences. So that was the spark that lit the story and got it going. Yeah. And then just as I did more and more research, I found all these really interesting events that happened. I just, I love taking true historical events and fictionalizing them so that I'm telling the true story and helping my readers to know what happened during World War II and some of the events that took place. For example, when Nellie and Jean-Paul stumble upon this little girl, Claire, it is at a horrific, tragic event has just taken place. And that is based mm-hmm. on a true event. And the picture taken at after that event is the picture that sort of I borrowed and made it my picture of hope in the story. So mm. there are a lot of little very historical tidbits in there. Some of them are even drawn from the true life story of the mime Marcel Marceau. So oh. some of the older listeners may remember him. He was the sad mime and so much of his yes. sadness came from what happened during the Second World War. He was Jewish. He joined the French Macisards and he worked to get Jewish children across the border into Switzerland. And how they managed to do that, I kind of stole that a little bit and put that in my story. And in fact, Marcel Marceau does make a cameo in the book. So, Oh, wow. That's so fascinating. I didn't yeah. know. I've, I've heard of him. I've seen, I know who he is, but I did not know his story. So that's so interesting that you took that and used it. Yeah. I didn't know about him either until I was doing research into the French resistance and his name kept popping up and I'm like, I have to check this out. This is just, I never knew that before about him. He was known as a mime and so many people have forgotten the work that he did during the war. And to him, that was so much more important than anything, but actually it was his miming that helped because he taught the children how to be quiet. And so when they were in situations where they had to hide and where they couldn't say anything, they knew how to be quiet because he had taught them miming. So it really came into play in his work during the war. Wow. That's so interesting. Mm -hmm. Um. So you mentioned this book includes a character with Down syndrome, and then you, you told me separately that you have a child with an intellectual disability. So I'm just wondering, how did your personal experience inform the story in A Picture of Hope? I just really wanted the world to know the beauty of children with intellectual disabilities. So often yeah. they're just dismissed. And even in my own experiences, people don't engage my daughter. They Mm. don't look at her. They don't say hello to her or anything like that. She speaks. She repeats a lot of stories over and over again. They're very scattered. Sometimes it's Mm -hmm. difficult to understand what she's saying, but she can say hello. And I just wanted to let them know the joy that these children can bring and the value of their lives, that they are 
worthy of life. So many children who are diagnosed in utero with some kind of disability that leads to an actual intellectual disability, for example, Down syndrome or yes. microcephaly, which is the disability that my daughter has. So many of those children are aborted. And mm-hmm. to me, it's very sad. They'll never get to know the joy that that child could have brought them. And our daughter has brought so much joy into our lives. She makes us laugh all the time. I think that's her goal in life is to make you laugh. And if she can do that, she's accomplished it. And she's just loving and beautiful. And I just wanted to convey that to the world. And so originally the story had been about them trying to get Jewish children out of the country. And when I got to the point to introduce Claire, all of a sudden I saw her as a girl with Down syndrome. And I thought, oh, yes, yes, this is a story that needs to be told. And that's why I included Claire having Down syndrome. Mm, That's beautiful. I can tell you're just passionate about this topic. And um, I, I appreciate it so much. You know, we need to see people as people and children as children, no matter their um, disabilities or, you know, everybody is different and made in God's image. Exactly. She is as every bit worthy as you or I, and she is, brings, her life has as much worth as anybody else's life. And you can learn so much from her. We have learned so much about love and compassion and Mm -hmm. just enjoying every moment and celebrating every little accomplishment and finding the joy in the little things. And that's some of what she's taught us. And so I think we have so much to learn from these people, whether they be children or adults. And if we just take the time to get to know them a little bit, there's nothing to be afraid of. My daughter asked me once, why doesn't so-and-so talk to Jonalyn? And I said, you know, I don't know. I think some people are afraid of her. And my daughter said, well, what is there to be afraid of her? You know, (laughs) And I think we just have to get over that fear of whatever it is and just engage them and learn from them. Right. Absolutely. Um, So what is your hope? I mean, with this novel, what do you want people to take away from it? Is it, is it that idea that um, we are all worthy of life and of, and of recognition of um, someone acknowledging us or, or does it have more to do with um, the story of the war and, and what the people did during, you know, in, in the, um, the Mackeysards or the, um, reporters in the war, what, what do you feel like is the main message of this novel? Well, I think that all sort of meshes together, that it Mm -hmm. is a story of hope and of the value of human life, no matter whether it's a Jewish life or, the life of a child with an intellectual disability 
or the life of an American reporter or anyone else, that we all have this inherent worth, as you mentioned, because we are created in God's image and that gives us our worth. And that no matter how dark life seems, that there is always hope at the end of the tunnel. And so those two stories sort of mesh together, I think, in the picture of hope and kind of walk hand in hand throughout the story. Because I know our daughter has taught us a lot about hope. There is no cure for microcephaly. She will not get better. And sometimes I wish I could have a conversation with her that wasn't circular all the time, the same thing over and over. And yet I have that hope that in the life to come, I'll be able to sit down with her and have a conversation with her and hear everything that was in her heart and in her mind. And that's just an amazing thought to me. Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. Can she understand that um, that you wrote this book with her in mind? Or is that something that she's not able to grasp? No, I dedicated the book to her, but she can't understand that mom writes books or yeah. anything like that. She has no idea. She knows that I work on the computer a lot. And <laughs> she'll sometimes sit beside me and tap on the table pretending to write on the computer like I am. Oh. But um, beyond that, that's about all that she understands that I do. Mom spends a lot of time on the computer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I'm sure that as you mentioned in the life to come, when you have those conversations, I think that she will be so thrilled to find that this book was dedicated to her. I hope so. I really hope yeah. so. Yeah. Um, so I was looking at your website and if I counted correctly, this is your seventh World War II novel. Is that right? That's correct. Yes, this is number seven. So why do you keep writing about this era? Something just draws me about it. I started off with my first one, Snow on the Tulips, was based on a family story set in the Netherlands about my aunt who took in a wounded resistance worker. Mm -hmm. And I had heard that story growing up and it touched my heart so much. And I was always shy and kind of, you know, don't notice me sort of person. And for someone to have that much courage, I was always afraid of absolutely everything growing up. I had a long list of fears. Yeah. And to know that I was related to somebody who had so much courage who stood up to the Nazis, who took mm. in this wounded resistance worker. It could have cost her her life, and yet she did it. I couldn't believe that. And so to explore these stories of such courageous people, and I like to write stories not about the troops, but about the everyday people like you and I who are mm-hmm. caught up in this war this war that they very often didn't ask for or want and just how they had to survive and not only just survive, but the triumph of the human spirit and how they showed their courage and how they hoped in God through everything, no matter what came their way. And I 
think it's so important to tell these stories because every day we're losing a huge number of World War II veterans and people who remember the war. Even the people who were little children during the war are now old and are dying off. And these stories are very soon going to be gone. And it's Mm -hmm. so important for us to tell these stories because my generation and my children's generation We don't understand what life was like. We don't understand true fear. We don't understand true hardship or hunger or anything like that, that these people experienced. And I think it's so important to know that when trials come, we can turn to God and hope in him and place our trust and our faith in him. And that's what just draws me to World War II and why I think it's so, so important for me to keep writing these stories and all World War II authors to keep at it. Yes. Yeah, that's so true. Um, So can you tell me a little bit about your research and writing process? What do you do when you get an idea and then you start on the book? I do a lot of research at the beginning. So even before I begin to write, I will spend weeks, maybe even a month, just doing research and reading everything that I can on the topic and getting my hands on whatever I can, getting maps, doing all things like that. And then I will sit down and I create the characters. I just love to know more about the characters. So I'll spend several days with each of the viewpoint Mm. characters. And then I'll just place them in a situation. So I know the beginning. I know where I want them to end up. I might know a few things that happen along the way, but I love to be surprised. So I'll just throw these characters into situations and I kind of just sit back and strange as it seems, it plays out like a movie in my head. And I just basically write what I see going on in my brain and I can see it in technicolor. I can smell it. I can hear it. And that's what comes out on the page. And sometimes it doesn't go according to the plan that I thought I had. And it will take a little detour, like in Picture of Hope, I thought it would be about Jewish children. And it ended up Mm. being about children with Down syndrome. So that sometimes can surprise me. But I think that's the fun part of writing it. Because a yes. movie or a book doesn't always follow the way that you think it's going to go. And so the same thing with this. And that's what makes writing so much fun and so interesting for me is I just kind of go with the flow and see where the story takes me, where these characters end up going and the things they say that I didn't think they were going to say. So that, that's a lot of fun for me. Yeah, definitely. Um, so are you, do you plot out the whole plot and then allow you know, allow yourself to go off on those other paths when they come? Or do you just start, are you more of like, once you do your research, you start writing? Yeah, plots make me break out in hives. (laughs) (laughs) I I can't even word. (laughs) So I just, I, like I said, I just sit down and I write and I let the characters dictate the story. And yes, a lot of times what I have researched comes into play. But very often, 
other things pop up and I'm off on tangents and sometimes they work and sometimes I have to rein my characters in and go, no, no, you have to go down this path. The one that I really wanted you to go down, but it's, it's, that's the way that it works best for me in my mind, which is strange because every other place in my life, I am a super Uber planner. And, but when it comes to my writing, I can't plot to save my I life. I am the same way. Like everyone who knows me would think I would be a plotter because I like to plan everything else. And I like to have a schedule and follow yes. a routine and have a my to-do list and check everything off. And then, but when it comes to writing, if I try, I have tried to write with a plot, with a, you know, with a an outline and it just does not work. No, not at all. Well, I'm glad to know somebody else who's like me. <laughs> yeah, <it's> so weird. <laughs> oh, well, have you always loved to write? What was your path to publication? I have always loved to write. From the time I was very, very small, I would make up stories. Like I said, I was afraid of everything. So even being very small, I was afraid of fire in the house at night. Mm, and yeah. so I couldn't fall asleep because I'd be so nervous about that. So to help myself relax, I would just start making stories up in my head. Mm-hmm. And then I just kept writing in school. And I had a teacher who, who said that she wanted me to grow up to be an authoress someday. She thought I would be a great writer. And that was very encouraging. But, you know, people said, oh, you can't make a lot of money being an author. You can't support yourself doing that. So I thought, well, I'll be a journalist then. They make money. And mm-hmm. they said, oh, you're too shy to be a journalist. So mm-hmm. I ended up being a teacher for four years, which was a very good thing. You know, the path that God takes you down isn't always the path that maybe you had planned out, but it's the best one because we ended up homeschooling our children for a number of years. And Mm -hmm. then I did minor in special education. So when Jonalyn came along with her special needs, I was very familiar. When the doctor said she has microcephaly, I knew immediately what that was and a little bit of what that meant for her and for us. So it was a good path. And um, I spent some time writing copy for a real estate advertising company. So that was a different kind of writing, but it was writing, which I liked. And then I was our church secretary for a number of years, which was good because it allowed me to be home with my kids and to homeschool them. I had flexibility because I worked mostly on the weekends. And Mm -hmm. then 9-11 happened and I was still a relatively young woman at that time. It was 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. But um, I realized then, I think it really hit me that my life could end any second, that I had no guarantee of tomorrow. And I didn't want to come to the end of my life and say, I wish I would have. I wanted to yeah. come to the end of my life and say, at least I tried. That's how far I thought it would get would be. At least I tried. Yeah. I never dreamt that I'd have over 20 books published. Wow. And so how did you get from that point of wanting to try to 
the point when your first book released? Yeah, that was a long and winding road as well. I started writing and then I was doing a lot of reading as well and saw a bio of somebody, of an author who had gone to a college here in Milwaukee near where I live. And I thought, well, I wonder if she still lives in the area. So I contacted her via her website and we connected and she really encouraged me in my writing. She was a wonderful mentor to me and became my very first agent. And then we brought home Jonalyn. We She was five years old when we adopted her. And mm-hmm. so our focus needed to be on her. We were homeschooling at the time. So that was a full-time job. And my writing yes. just kind of got put to the side during that season of my life. In fact, I called my agent up one day and said, you know, I'm not making you any money. I'm just sort of sitting here not doing very much. And so if you want to drop me, I understand that. And she said, oh, no, I understand family has to come first. And whenever you're ready to submit something, then you submit it. And I had worked on a few things. We had submitted a few things. And then I was at therapy with Jonalyn one day. And while she was having her session, I sat down, I opened up my computer. I literally was about to start a completely different book. And there was an email in there from my agent. They were looking for Christmas novellas set around log cabins. A log cabin had to be in there. And did you have anything? And oh, by the way, we need it by Monday. And this was like a Wednesday or something. We were going on vacation. And so I pulled out an old proposal that hadn't gone anywhere and I reworked it. Everybody else was enjoying vacation and I was sitting inside just working away like a crazy woman to get this all polished up and ready to go. And that was my first published book. It was a novella in the Log Cabin Christmas collection. So that was, it took me almost 10 years to get published, but it was the right timing. God's timing was perfect because if I had gotten a contract when John and Lynn first came home and while we were homeschooling, I don't know what I would have done. I I honestly didn't have the time to do the writing at that point. Yeah. Yeah. I hear a lot of authors um, that I talk to who have young kids and they're homeschooling. I'm like, how are you, how are you doing? <laughs> you know, how do they put in the time? But I mean, people have different strengths and some people are able to focus their time and, and get it done. But I cannot imagine. <laughs> no, me either. We'd be done with the home school day and it would be like, I'd make dinner and clean up and put them to bed. <laughs> I'd be ready for bed myself. I am yes. not a night owl. I could not stay up till midnight working and then get up at six to start all over again. It was not me. No. So. <laughs> yeah. So what are you working on now? Can you tell us about it? Yes. On Friday, which is the same day that A Picture of Hope releases, I have a book do. So I am polishing that up. Like I said, working like a crazy woman to get all of this done. Yes. But this is going to be part of a picture of hope is part of Barber's heroines of world war two series. So they did the true colors crime series and now they're doing the world war two, which is going to also have 12 books in it. And they are also doing a doors to the past series. So these are, in all series, there are different authors 
who are writing books set around different themes. So, of course, the theme in Heroines of World War II is really focusing on the women of World War II and what they did and the contributions they made to the war effort and how they helped to win the war. And that's the focus of the Heroines of World War II series. And the one I'm finishing up now is for the Doors to the Past series. So they Mm -hmm. are time slip where there is a mystery in the past that gets solved in the present. And mine Mm -hmm. is centered around a ring that has to do with the Alamo. And so that's what I'm finishing up right now. My first first time slip. So it's been a little bit, I've been a little bit unsure of myself as I've gone along. Like, can I really, really do this? (laughs) Yeah, I have to do this. I have this contract, so I have to write this. Yeah, that's challenging, but I love time slips. So that's exciting. I'm excited to dip my foot into this, these waters. I do like you enjoy time slip so much. And I've had a lot of help. Um, Melanie Dobson has been absolutely amazing to me. It's helped me so much. And how do I write this? How do I go about writing this? How do I make these pieces work? And Mm -hmm. so she's been great. She's not complained about the number of emails I've sent her or anything like that. So it's been very helpful. Yeah. Yeah. She's like a a veteran time slip writer. She is. She even wrote a book on how to write time slips. And I have all the main points from that book up on my whiteboard in front of me. (laughs) Nice. yeah. Yeah. So that is called A Promise Engraved, and that will release in May of 22. So... Oh, great. Wonderful. That's exciting. So this is a question I ask all my guests. How do you think learning about history through story helps us approach life in the present? That's a really good question. I think, especially with the picture of hope and what I had wanted to do with it in showing the value and the worth of every human life, no matter the ethnicity that they are, no matter the capacity that they have to learn or to walk or anything like that, that every human life has worth. And what Hitler considered worthy of life, I think sometimes in the present day, we're not that obvious as Hitler was, but if you think about the number of lives that have been lost to abortion and Mm -hmm. the cavalier way that we treat the elderly even, and with that, I'm just afraid of what that's going to happen as time goes on. And we say, are their lives even worthy of being lived anymore? So I want people to see that from conception to death, everybody has something to contribute no matter what. My husband had an aunt who suffered from a form of vascular dystrophy. And at the very end, she could no longer move except for blinking her eyes. She couldn't swallow. She couldn't see. 
she could still hear. And so she managed to learn to communicate to her children through blinking her eyes. And she was a wonderful woman of great faith. And she would tell her daughter and then her daughter would see us and say, mom told me to let you know that she's praying for you. And I thought, here is a life that everyone would say, just pull the plug on her. Mm-hmm. She needed assistance with her breathing and everything. And I thought, no, this is a life that's worthy of being lived because she's sending up prayers for me and my family. And that is such a worthy thing that she's doing and such a wonderful thing that she's doing. And so even in that kind of state, her life had worth. And I think yes. we can learn so much from World War II and how life was treated then um, apply it to how we need to treat life today with the view, as we said, that every life is precious and every life is worthy. We are all created in God's image and we need to keep that in mind and not treat life with any type of cavalier attitude. Absolutely. Oh, I just, I love that. I love your message and your, almost like your mission and your writing seems to be to, sure. um, mm-hmm. to bring that forth, the, the sacredness of each life. Yes. Yeah. That's sure. beautiful. Uh, so Liz, this has been a wonderful conversation. What is the best way for listeners to follow you? The best way for you to follow me is to go over to my website and sign up for my newsletter. I promise I'm not like Bath and Body Works. I don't send you five (laughs) emails a day because that bugs me like crazy. And I promise not to do that to you. You might get a few extra right now because of the book releasing, but otherwise Mm -hmm. it's once a month. I leave you alone. But that's a great way for listeners to find out what books are releasing, what's going on in my life. We have a book giveaway every month of some of my favorite authors. Mm. Almost always have a recipe in there. And there is a bonus giveaway in there for my newsletter subscribers. So that's a great way to get in contact with me and to keep in touch with me. And you can also find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. So I'm in all of those places as well. But I'd encourage you to visit my website and check out everything that's on there. And right now you can sign up to um, get read the first chapter of A Picture of Hope and then go from there and order it if you like that first chapter. Oh, great. That's wonderful. We'll make sure to link to that in the show notes then. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for being with us today, Liz. This has been wonderful. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. So friends, isn't she just the best? She was just so wonderful. I didn't know that we were going to talk that much about um, just her heart for people and how, how much she cares. So you know the drill with everything. If you've listened to this podcast much, if you're not subscribed, why not sign up to subscribe to the podcast and um, on Apple podcast, it's called following a podcast now. So subscribe or follow on whichever podcatcher you use and please 
um, on Apple Podcasts, if you could leave a star rating and review, that would help so much. It just helps. Um, it helps with the algorithms and getting this podcast to be suggested to people who would enjoy it. And the more you guys can help with that, the better for my podcast, the better for me, the more likely I'll be able to continue indefinitely interviewing really wonderful authors and um, getting these interviews out to you. Also, if you're interested, you can join the Facebook group. Go to Facebook and search for Historical Fiction Podcast Group. So that's one way to find it, but you can also find it through the show notes, which if they're not in your podcatcher app, then they will be always online at alisontreat.com slash blog. That's A-L-I-S-O-N-T-R-E-A-T dot com slash B-L-O-G. You can get to all the shows there. They're listed there and you just click on whichever show you are interested in. In this case, it's the one with Liz Tolzma. Um, and we'll have links to Liz's books and her podcast. And um, I'll have links to her social media accounts so that you can, and her website, and of course, and you can keep up with her that way. And then there's also always a link to the Facebook group and to my website and different ways to keep up with me. So make sure you visit the show notes because there's lots to be seen there. So if you've been listening long, you know that I always leave you with a quote. And I couldn't help after talking to Liz coming up with this quote from Pope John Paul II. The human person is a unique composite, a unity of spirit and matter, soul and body, fashioned in the image of God and destined to live forever. Every human life is sacred because every human person is sacred. So chew on that a little bit, my friends, and keep reading historical fiction. I'll talk to you again next week. <laughs>